Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am delighted to be joined today by my good friend, Ellison Wiest. Good morning, Sarah. Hello. So, what have you been reading there, Ellison? Ooh, I am thrilled to talk about two new books that I read this month, including Ann Patchett's upcoming book, Commonwealth. Look at you having already read that. Aren't you just ahead of the curve? You are. It comes out on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. and I think her legions of fans will be satisfied with the tale of two marriages that collide, forcing six children into years of upheaval. Hmm. Now, I'll admit I wasn't really charmed at the beginning, I worried that this book might be another one of those humdrum divorce family sagas. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, Patchett is a sneaky trickster. She's such a gifted writer, such a lyrical, beautiful writer. She is. Um, Suddenly out came the deepening of personalities and the layering of one character's story over another. Um, I hated to see this book end. Oh, yeah. I was reading, I'm not sure where, oh, maybe the reviews in Entertainment Weekly. I don't know, some lowbrow place like that. (laughs) Um, Although. Oh, that's yeah. what I love Entertainment Weekly, um, that they were saying, you know, even though it didn't have the, you know, it wasn't set in South America, like State of Wonder or Bel Canto, right. but it still really was as deep and rich of an environment, so to speak. It was. And she really, I think, really gets into the characters without, I say she's tricky because it sort of comes in... Um, underneath you don't really see Mm. how she's layering everything Mm. and then by the end of the book when she's pulling it all together um, she brings in some some characters that were only from the beginning of the book and uh, just a lovely lovely book Mm. I really really hated to see it end and um, I think she's done it again well and it's not all that long I mean it's under 400 pages right about that, let's mm-hmm. say I had the advanced readers guy. I would say about four hundred pages, mm-hmm. but it's um, again. I think some people like myself may find it a little slow in the beginning, so stick with it. Mm-hmm. And are we talking the first twenty pages, the first fifty pages? I think the first chapter for me, mm-hmm. um, it sets it up. She does a brilliant job of setting the story in motion, but for me, it just just seemed to, to take a little while to get off. Okay. But um, I really even hate to focus on that because the book itself is is brilliant. Um, and the characters, I, I, I can't say enough about some of the characters and, again, how she interplays them. Nice, nice. And the other book? Ooh, this is for all of you who, like me, adored The Snow Child um, oh. by Eowyn uh, Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um and she's got a second novel that's every bit as good. It's called To the Bright Edge of the World, and it does it uh, delivers the same magical excitement and adventure as her debut. Hmm. You haven't read The Snow Child? Uh, I'm being quiet, aren't I? There's, yes. There's, I haven't. Um, I'm still in awe of how you said Eowyn. So I'm, I'm still yeah, back there on to. that conversation. But um, <laughs> uh, the no, I have not. I don't even think I've heard of that book. Yeah, it came out. Oh, our listeners will know, I want to say maybe four or five years ago, mm. and is, is a really charming, magical novel. And you know me, I'm not, when people say magical, suddenly my hackles go up. <laughs> You're not a fairy dust, <laughs> no, and, you know, no, gnome not, type of gal. Not, and I loved The Snow Child, and To the Bright Edge of the World uh, is more what I would call an adventure novel. And that's another area when people, you know, say adventure, you know, the <laughs> trekking into the wilds of Alaska. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. But... Um, um, it's it's a fantastic book. Uh, 
It toggles between an Alaskan ex- expedition led by Colonel Alan Forrester and the trials of his wife, Sophie, who's left mm. behind at the Vancouver Barracks in Washington Territory, mm. i.e. across the river yes, from us. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> And so we read about the challenges that Forrester and his men tackle while at home, his wife faces a personal uh, disappointment, and then she discovers a lifelong passion. Mm. Um, and there are letters that the two of them write to each other, not knowing if the other person will ever receive mm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, there's a side modern day story uh, that also features letters between a young museum curator mm-hmm. and uh, the great nephew of the Foresters. Oh, huh. So like I said, I'm not usually for an adventure novel, but this one is fantastic. And I'm especially intrigued uh, because it's a second novel. And as you and I both know, sometimes second novels can be disappointments. So this no sophomore slump? Not at all. Oh. Not at all. I have to say, I'm usually not a person who likes epistles in, in novels. Do they just have the letters just zoom right there? or They have them, but they go back and forth. It's not all... Mm-hmm. It's not uh, the novel is not based entirely on the letters, so that's the other nice thing is they're you mm-hmm. know popped in here and there. But uh, really can't say enough about that book. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, I just finished listening to um, book Catelyn uh, Moran's novel How to Build a Girl. Oh, and um, I adored adored it, and it's for book group. Molly picked it. And um, I usually am not an audiobook person that much, but I was like, oh, well, you know, I love a good British accent. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and oh my gosh. So the narrator was uh, Louise Brealey. She is the charming, absolutely adorable actress who plays Molly Hooper on the BBC series Sherlock. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was just charmed by her and enchanted by her voice and her the way she read it. And then when I figured out who she was, I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm totally head over heels on this one. And, um, okay, I have to say it is NC-17 for sure. Do not play it while the children are anywhere near. Got it. Uh, um, and and some more gentle listeners might be appalled by it a little bit. But um, so my BFF, Chalkley, who lives in Brooklyn, um, she is just a huge fan of Catelyn Moran. And so she had read Catelyn Moran's, I guess it's a memoir. Right. Sort of. That uh, was her first one. And and then uh, this How to Build a Girl right. is a novel that came out two years ago. And I, I have said before on the podcast, I am just the worst present giver. Like I never have good ideas for presents. <laughs> Except for Alex's Christmas present a year and a half ago. I was really proud of that one when I gave his, his girlfriend loves our neighborhood. This is a side note. His girl, his living girlfriend, Serena. Hi, Serena. Hey, Serena. Um, <laughs> loves loves the neighborhood that I live in, and so, so you gave her a house. So I gave, yeah, right. And so yeah. so gave them uh, gift cards for restaurants that are kind of on the periphery of our neighborhood, so that they would park in our neighborhood and then walk walk around, look at the houses, the gardens, and then enjoy a nice dinner or maybe happy hour based on the price of the gift cards we gave them um, on AMR. So anyway, so that was one thoughtful gift that I've had in the past two years. And the other thoughtful gift was giving Chalkley a copy of How to Build a Girl. And she raved about it. And I don't know why I never dove in, but oh my gosh, it is just literally laugh out loud funny. Molly and I haven't been writing together all that much because she's been traveling and I've been traveling and so, oh my gosh, just, I was just yucking it up on my own, you know, at 6.15 in the morning. And it is just, it's fantastic. I, I just loved it to bits. Would you recommend it on Audible versus reading or? 
I, can you say? I would. I mean, it certainly, um, yeah, because it, it became almost like a play or a sitcom. And then when I would, you know, if I listened to it, um, I don't know, in the evening, I would then hear it in my head when I went to sleep. And also some of those words you kind of pick up, you know, they have a lot of um, slang, uh, British slang. In okay. It. And so, I don't know, somehow hearing it, you can, p- I picked up the context of it a little better. Okay. And um, just the family, really, her, her family, she, the character in it is this teenager from 14 to 17, and, and just a very poor family. They're on, um, the dad's on disability. And, uh, and just she, the, the character just really came to life and her family members and she ends up, she leaves school to be a music critic for, um, kind of a free, um, indie paper. This is in the early 1990s and, um, oh gosh, it just, uh, I just loved it. So anyway, so yeah, so audiobook I would recommend. I need to start listening to audiobooks. I wish some of our listeners would prod me and give me reasons to sometime oh. put down the the actual. Well, so solid they should they should tweet you. So you are at E G W Reads on uh-huh, so Twitter. E G W R E A D S. R E A D S, like reads a book, and then on Instagram, I'm Book Bully. Uh-huh, but book I'd bully. love to to hear, especially from people that have always been huge book readers. Why should I go Audible? Mm, yeah. mm, not very good, very good. So, well, speaking of books, um, you and I are just thrilled to be joined in studio. Read in crammed into my guest bedroom in the basement. We are joined by Elise Kopecki, a mother runner of a toddler daughter and co-author of the just-released cookbook entitled Run Fast, Eat Slow, Nourishing Recipes for Athletes. Elise's co-author is a woman you all might have heard of. She is three-time Olympian Shalane Flanagan, who, alas, had a scheduling conflict, so she can't be on the show. But um, I'm not sure we could have fit her in the room, no matter how tiny she is. So maybe it worked out for the best. Um, But before we turn on Elise's mic, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a partner. We'll be right back. Welcome, Elise. We're so glad you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back in my old stomping ground in Portland, Oregon. Nice, nice, nice. Good. Well, okay, Elise, as a graduate of Wake Forest University, I'm going to forgive you for being a Tar Heel. Uh, But we really want to know all about you and Shalane. You were teammates at the University of North Carolina. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your running background? Yeah, so Shalane and I were teammates and roommates. I started running when I was 12 years old, and I ran competitively through junior high and high school and then went on to run and at um, Chapel Hill as a Tar Heel. And um, that's when I met Shalane freshman year. Um, we ran together, and then we went on to live together the rest of our time at in college. My running in college was unimpressive. I suffered from a lot of injuries, and that was a, um, that's part of the story behind the book, how the book came to be. Um, Shalane kicked my butt every day in practice uh, during college. I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> so well, before we get to the story about the book, fill us in on your professional side. You're a chef and a nutrition coach, right? Yes. So this is actually a second career for me. I, um, in my previous world, um, worked for almost 10 years in digital marketing at Nike. Um, I worked on Nike Running. And in fact, um, that's how Shalane and I's paths have stayed so intertwined over the years. We've known each other for 16 years. And after graduating from UNC, we both moved west to Portland. And Shalane was running for Nike and I was working for Nike. So I used to sit in a cubicle and watch her on the fields down below. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought maybe this cubicle life isn't for me. Um, But I stuck it out for 10 years. And then 
Um, it wasn't until I moved abroad to Switzerland that I had a, a realization that um, some life-changing experiences over there inspired me to come back to the U.S. and go study culinary nutrition at a top school in New York City. Mm. And um, that was when I pursued this path of wanting to teach other people what I had learned and came back to Portland. And the first person I started working on was Shalane. And then from there, it was like, we need to write a book about this. So so that segues a little into what I was going to ask you is that so this is something that you guys dreamed up together. Um, and how long did it take from talking about it to when uh, the book actually came into being? So it was exactly three years ago that we had the idea for this book. We, Shalane and I hadn't seen each other in a couple years since I was living abroad in Switzerland and then went straight to New York from Switzerland. So I'd just come back to Portland and we reunited over dinner at her house and we were cooking an amazing home cooked meal together. And that was when we started talking. We were talking about catching up on everything that we had done in the past. And we just, our conversation drifted to talking about all the misinformation that's out there about diets that's pushed at athletes. And that night I said to Shalane, like, how cool it would be if we wrote a cookbook someday. And I never, it was just like an idea on a whim. Like I never, it just came to me and I never thought we would actually do it. And it took a full year of us like texting, mes text messages back and forth and just um, getting together for more dinners and cooking more amazing meals together before um, I took the plunge and quit my other projects to work on the book full time. Um, so two, so three years ago, the idea was born and then two years ago, was when we actually started working on it full time. Well, the book's introduction really spoke to me, especially the part that said, as a result of our reliance on nutrient poor processed foods, the majority of Americans are overfed, undernourished and running on empty. Refined foods provide mass without sustenance. So expand on these assertions and how they inform the incredibly tasty recipes in this book. Run, we, we feel like a lot of runners come from two different mindsets. It's either the I'm running so many miles so I can eat anything mindset and they're just they just see um, food as fuel and they don't look deeper. So they get caught up in reading um, nutrition facts on labels and they're just looking to get in like a lot of protein or a lot of carbohydrates and really focusing on the, the macronutrients, um, but not realizing that not all macronutrients are created equal. So um, a gram of protein from a processed food product is different from the protein you're going to get from eating real food and whole foods. Um, and that's um, part of the inspiration for the book. There's also the other side of um, another extreme of eating where runners really are watching what they're eating to, to the detriment of their health. And they're just not getting in enough nourishing calories. And we want to teach people to get more in touch with listening to their body's needs and their own cravings and to forget about reading labels and forget about reading nutrition facts because not only are those numbers often wildly inaccurate, they're also not telling you anything about the nutrient density of the food, what are the actual micronutrients, the minerals and the vitamins that when you're work, whether you're running three miles a day or um, going for a 20 mile run, we all need <clears throat> a lot more nourishing um, vitamins and minerals. That kind of makes me think about, um, in chapter one, you've set the stage for the recipes to come. And one of the things you mention is how Shalane, quote, no longer craves sugary snacks. And that's an area that many of us really struggle with. Um, I know I've had people say, oh, you run so much, you can eat as many treats as you want. And it's tough to explain to them how awful you can feel sometimes uh, when you eat too much sugar. So can you expand a little on that? Yes. So um, there are over 600,000 processed packaged food items on our grocery store shelves and 70% of them have added sugar. So 
we are really getting um, the majority of Americans are just get, taking in way too much sugar per day, and that's um, taking up space of other really nourishing foods that you could eat. And when Shalane switched her diet from feeling like she had to watch what she eat was eating and um, like read calorie counts and and um, get obsessed over her her diet to really just enjoying food and indulging in all whole foods and eating a lot more fat in her diet, she felt so much more satisfied. So um, she used to have cravings. Um, she used to get all kinds of cravings for the sugary snacks and pretzels and crackers. And um, because she wasn't eating enough during the day, she'd find herself hungry at night and she'd wake up in the night hungry and have to have like grab a quick snack. But now she's getting in a lot more good fats um, throughout the day and that's keeping her satisfied so much longer and keeping her feeling um, more energized. Yeah, you define the way you and Shalane and your families eat as indulgent nourishment. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so th- we came up with um, calling our way of eating indulgent nourishment because we want to teach people that healthy eating isn't just kale juice, it's also a juicy burger. Um, so that's kind of our our thing. And um, health food has a bad reputation in our country because it often is bland and boring, when in fact um, health food should be full of fit, full of taste and flavor and really satisfying. And fat is a carrier for flavor. It's also a carrier for nutrients. And so that's why a meal, um, a salad topped with an olive oil dressing or a dish cooked with a buttery sauce tastes so much more satisfying because it is nourishing your body better and it's also um, staying with you longer. So yeah, you've defined the way that you and Shalane and your families eat as indulgent nourishment. Can you explain what that means and how it's showcased in the recipes included in this book? So with indulgent nourishment, we want to teach people that health food doesn't have to be bland and boring. I think health food in our country gets a really bad reputation. Um, If you're giving a kid just plain steamed broccoli, they're probably not going to like it. But if you're taking that broccoli and baking a creamy broccoli chef soup like we have in our book, um, your kids and your whole family are going to just love it and feel so much more satisfied and energized And with indulgent nourishment, all of our recipes are full of really good fats. Uh, Fat is not only a carrier for flavor, but also a carrier for nutrients. So it makes your body feel a lot more nourished and satisfied when you're eating a meal topped with a buttery sauce or a salad topped with an olive oil. You're going to feel just better and you're less likely to reach for sugary snacks and, and crave the junk. I think it's important to to call that out as a phrase, because I think to a lot of people, particularly Americans, it might sound almost like an oxymoron, you know, so. Yeah, um, um, this was a realization that I discovered when I moved abroad to Switzerland. I had the chance to live and work um, in Switzerland for two years. And when I moved over there, my diet completely changed from in the U.S. I was eating plain white meat chicken breast to going over there and um, making whole roasted chicken and using every part of it, the dark meat, which I had thought was, wasn't was as healthy for you and is, in fact, healthier for you. It's got more minerals in it, and it's got really good, healthy, saturated fats. And then same thing, I was eating veggie burgers in our country and moved over there and, start, and switched to eating grass-fed ground beef. And I was eating fake butters in our country. And then over there, I was eating real butter, cultured, freshly made butter. And then here, um, I used to eat low-fat yogurt. And when we moved over there, it was whole milk yogurt. And I felt so much healthier and energized and was able to overcome suffering from athletic amenorrhea. And that was when I realized, like, 
in our country, we label these foods as unhealthy when in fact they were, they made me feel healthier and stronger than ever before. Mm-hmm. And they oftentimes taste so much better too. I mean, I just uh, recently upgraded to buying more expensive butter at Trader Joe's and um, you know, I started using it for baking because I'm like, oh, you know, the little sign says, oh, this is what bakers use. And suddenly I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, put it on our, you know, I don't know, a little bit of a baked sweet potato or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this is tasty stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth going for quality um, ingredients. It makes all the difference in taste and also n- nutrition. Mm-hmm. So Ellison and I love the term that you use in the book, uh, hangry, which is a combination of hungry and angry. And um, as I said, it appears in Run Fast, Eat Slow. And and we also use it in our book, Run Like a Mother. Um, In your cookbook, you list 11 recipes to combat this affliction, (laughs) including a recipe that I believe Ellison is now officially addicted to. Yes, Uh, yes. um, The delicious green tea, green apple smoothie. Love it. Um, Describe some of the symptoms of hangry and how runners should address it. Um, so hangry is a really common, um, just you come back from a run and you need, and you're so hungry and you don't want to have a conversation with anyone. Like (laughs) you're just focused on getting to the fridge as super possible, as quick as possible. It's super common. I experienced it as a new mom when I was nursing. Oh God, yes. Um, been there. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was more than a decade ago for me. And, yeah. you know, oh, gosh. Three, three for, for you. Me. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we I remember that feeling. Remember yeah. You're just, you're so depleted. Your body needs um, to recharge. So eating foods that are really uh, nutrient dense and calorie dense and have a perfect balance of fats and carbs and protein and real food provides that naturally without having to read the label on a package. So, um, we, a lot of runners suffer from burnout or low energy or just feeling mood swings. And mood swings are often related to not having enough fats in, fat in your diet. Hmm. Hmm. Which reminds me, well, earlier you had mentioned the um, athletic amenorrhea that she suffered in high school and college, uh, but you were able to combat it by adding more feet, uh, fat to your diet. So tell us a little bit about this condition and why is it so often an issue for female runners? So athletic amenorrhea is when um, you don't get your period, and it's really common in runners. I think of um, runners running at the competitive level. It's like 70% of women suffer from it, wow. young, wow. young women, women athletes. And um, I read like 40, they're estimating 40% of women in general who are runners. And when you're training, your body, um, to keep your hormones in balance, like fat, you need that fuel, um, and fat is so important for that. And so I didn't realize that I all through college and even after college when I wasn't running as competitively, but I was still enjoying running. I had doctors tell me I would have trouble getting pregnant someday and not a single doctor ever told me, you just need more butter in your life. (laughs) And it it took, um, when we moved abroad to Switzerland, um, it was within a month of living over there. I got my period naturally for the first time since I had started running. Uh, I started running at such a young age. Um, so, I had thought I had something lifelong and that I would would have to go through all kinds of um, fertility drugs. And when I was ready to start a family, and thank goodness, um, I was able to change my diet and eat real food and indulge and and get over the condition. Wait, are you saying that, so if you started competitive, or if you started running at age 12, so are you saying you never really had a period until you moved to Switzerland? This is correct. Except, oh my gosh, well, this is... <laughs> no, <laughs> I did. I mean, wow. in college, they realized that this was causing 
what was causing I had suffered from stress fractures in college so the team doctor put me on birth control so yes I did get but not naturally right I noticed I, you said you qualified it by saying naturally that's amazing yes wow big savings on tampons my gosh oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's where your mind goes yeah. <laughs> wow but no that that's that's staggering I mean so how old were you when when if I can ask when you moved to Switzerland I was 30 Wow. And so no doctor ever said like, oh, your bones are just turning into like no, no, shards they, they of did. glass. They, uh-huh. they put me on birth control. So I did get my period. But I mean, mm-hmm. when I went off birth control, every time I'd go off of it, I wasn't getting my period naturally. I'd go off of it. After college, I went off of it thinking like I, since I wasn't running as much, I would be fine. But then always ended up going back on it because I didn't want to, it's very dangerous to mm-hmm. not have that estrogen in your body cause mm-hmm. for your bone, bone density. Mm-hmm. And I had my bone density checked in college and it was low. And that's why they put me on. Mm on the birth control pills um so mm-hmm. to, yeah but you to, said that no doctor ever brought up diet no what's never mm-hmm. wow. yeah hmm. wow so last week my running pal sheila texted me a photo of the cover of run fast eat slow and she typed i am beyond excited about this book she typed all the food i eat creative yet simple and delicious recipes she later emailed me an intriguing question for you if you were a marathon race director, what food and drinks would you offer at the end of the race? And uh, Sheila continued in her message to me, I am often disappointed with what is available and end up being stuck in the marathon area without access to what I want to eat. Yes, it's true. Uh, we've all, um, every race has defaulted to the same, like three foods, orange slices, bananas, and bagels. <laughs> um, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> but... Um, I think like the bananas and the orange slices can be great, but bagels often are bagels don't provide the good, the good fats and proteins that you need for recovery. Um, if I could offer, um, any recipe in the book at the finish line, it would probably be our superhero muffins. They, people, um, are just going crazy over these muffins on Instagram and, um, they're made with real butter, but they're also made with really which we love. Like butter is, um, gets a bad rep in our country, but uh, if you're using really high quality butter, you're getting really good good fats in there and um, lots of good um, vitamins and minerals as well. So our superhero muffins, they sneak in two veggies, and then they also provide um, really they have they're made with almond flour and oats and maple syrup as the sweetener. So they give you the recharge and the energy from that without uh, without the crash because they're unlike a bagel which is going to give you the the sugar high and then the crash this is going to give you more balanced energy and and recovery well speaking of recipes there are so many great recipes in this book Uh, so far some of my favorites are the fart like chili the sweet potato breakfast cookies and the can't beat me smoothie Um, what are some of shalane's go-to favorites and why so shalane while training for rio she um, on a regular basis would make the high altitude bison meatballs or the um or the burger recipe the bison burgers and sometimes she make it with bison sometimes with just really good quality grass-fed ground beef but when she's training at high altitude her body is she's craving iron because she's making new red blood cells so she really needs a lot of iron in her diet um so those are the her she got her whole team hooked on on these on these meatballs and that's um a favorite of hers and of mine and then she loves the ginger molasses granola. It's also really high in iron. Molasses are incredible for that. And um, we love using sweeteners that are less refined. Um, so all of our wholesome treats in the book um, are free of refined sugar. And we use um, 
honey or molasses or maple syrup, which are less processed and are also have provide your body with good minerals. She definitely craves the sweet treats when she's training at that level. So she makes the superhero muffins a lot. In fact, I just had one at her house this morning for breakfast. <laughs> um, and the Tef, the double chocolate Tef cookies is another sweet treat that she craves. And then she's a big fan of the beet hummus. And uh, we had that last weekend at my house and she was really excited that I had made it. And then her absolute favorite, because I asked her um, what she wanted me to make for dinner when she came to Bend for our book tour in Bend. Um, we had the wild salmon sweet potato cakes. Oh, love those. With avocado cream. And then the kale farro salad with the lemon miso dressing, which has become every time Shalane and I have uh, an event to go to or um, a baby shower or an, or a dinner, like we get asked to bring the, the kale mm-hmm. farro salad. It's a great one. I make it... Um, probably every other Sunday because it's great to serve with dinner as a side and then it makes amazing leftovers. It stays really fresh all week long. So my husband and I will pack it for lunches for for work. Nice, nice. So you mentioned bison. And I think here in Portland, it's probably kind of somewhat easy to find bison meat um, mm-hmm. just because of the foodie culture that exists here. But I mean, how easy is it to find bison meat in other parts of the country? And where, where might people look for it if they it, mm-hmm. like if their local chain grocery store doesn't carry it? Yeah, so um, our absolute favorite rancher um, that may, that has incredible um, farm with bison and yak um, is out in Bend, Oregon, and he sells here in Portland. It's um, Pine Mountain Ranch, so you can get it at the Portland Farmers Market. Um, but the um, I think you can also order it through his website. If you are outside of the country, you could order it online, mm. um, frozen, and have it shipped. Um, from Pine Mountain Ranch or um, bison has gotten popular popular in the last couple of years. It's also many people call it buffalo. You'll see buffalo burgers on menus mm-hmm. at restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find it in most um, natural food stores um, and like Whole Foods, you would mm-hmm. find it. It will come from a much larger farm like out of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, we prefer to buy it from smaller local farms where we know they're taking the absolute best care of the animals because the best care of the animals it's not only better for the environment but you're also getting a better product that's going to be more nutrient dense so definitely looking into where your meat comes from is is really important but if you can't find bison um, we're just as big of fans of grass-fed ground beef or really high quality ground beef Mm -hmm. now wait a minute so you mentioned pine mountain ranch range sorry has ranch uh, ranch, okay has um has bison but you also said yak people don't eat yak do they Oh yeah, yak's amazing. Is it? <laughs> uh, my 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 two year old. Um, we went hiking last weekend, and I had bought I had gone to the farmers market in Ben and bought these like yak sticks. They're like like um, like beef like jerky. jerky. Yeah, like jerky, but uh-huh. almost like um, like pepperoni sticks. Like you slim know, jim. Yes. you're saying it's <laughs> yeah. like a slim jim. You were trying to think of a term other than slim jim. <laughs> slim yak. So I bought I bought these yak sticks. Well, I call my daughter, my two year old calls them yak sticks, and we get into the car to go hiking, and she Shalane was like, "What is this like hiking food you're bringing?" And um, Lily, my two year old, kept saying like, "She want she was like yak sticks, more 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 yak," and she wanted to eat them in the car, so we didn't have any left for the hike because we ate them oh, in, no. the, in the car on the drive there. <laughs> And Shalane wasn't sure to, to, whether to thank Lily or be like... <laughs> she got to taste him. She loved it. Oh, good, good, good. Um, so switching topics from meat to my newly vegetarian older daughter, um, plus my whole family, uh, we gobbled up the pasta primavera with tempeh. 
Um, talk about some of the other proteins you highlight in the book. You've you've kind of talked about the the yak, yep. or the sorry, the, the bison, and the you feature a lot of salmon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Um, our book equally appear appeals to vegans and vegetarians. We're um, what we love most. What we're most proud of about this book is it doesn't push one way of eating. We want to celebrate all ways of eating. Um, we just want people to get back to eating real food. So whether you're vegetarian or, or you love your meat, um, it doesn't matter. We have a lot of, we give a lot of options um, for vegetarians and vegans to make sure that you're still getting the complete protein. So um, the majority of our book, um, we eat meat as a small side dish and then the rest of our plate we're filling with with um, veggie friendly dishes. So we have a lot of amazing grain salads in our book and quinoa, we love um, we love quinoa because it's one of the only plant-based foods that has all nine amino acids. So it's giving you that complete protein. And then we love the combination of um, whole grains like like brown rice combined with beans so that you also would get the, the complete protein. So we have um, a, a rice bowl that's topped with some homemade black um, spicy black beans and the, the chili dish. And um, as far as like tofu or soy, we're not really big on tofu because it's really highly processed. So instead we opt for tempeh, which not only is the whole soybean, it's also the way it's made. It's easier di- to digest than, than tofu, which can be hard on your digestion as a, as a runner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have to say though, it's not the world's most um, appealing looking no. thing once it's cooked up. I remember <laughs> when I was um, single in San Francisco, I had a college friend over for dinner and I made this kind of like and he was a vegan. I made a sort of fake bolognese sauce with tempeh, and it was just—it was not tempeh or soy. No, with tempeh. Oh, yeah. yeah, and so it was—it was not the prettiest dish to serve to a guest, mm. but um, but but very tasty. And, yeah, I uh, like seitan. Oh, uh huh. Um, yeah, which I, I always stop before I say that because I always worry I'm going to say I, it's Satan. Satan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to my paternal side of the family. That's what they call it. But uh, yeah. But I have to give another shout out for the the beet hummus, um, especially because I've noticed on social media when some people have been talking about run fast, eat slow, there's been a little bit of anti beet. Seems oh. like a lot of people are depending oh, the, on the world's divided on beets. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. some and the beet hummus is amazing, and um, I really think that that will sway a lot of people towards the beet side. We've had a, a lot of moms email us or post on social media that their kids go crazy over the beet hummus, and I think it's because it has such a vibrant, incredible color, but also it's just so full of flavor, and it doesn't. There's some. Um, it's made with really good, it's made with olive oil and lemon juice and garlic and tahini. So um, you get the earthy sweetness from the beets, but it's not overpowering. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's a favorite of my two-year-old. In fact, when we had it with Shalane last weekend, um, the next morning for breakfast, I asked, I asked my two-year-old if she wanted to have eggs or yogurt. And she said, no, mommy, beet hummus, beet hummus. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I sense that she won't, maybe won't have things stolen out of her lunchbox, though. You know, here she's eating her yak sticks, her beet hummus, and <laughs> sardines are another favorite. Oh, oh boy. Yum. Oh, my gosh. That's like when uh, <laughs> my kids were eating some leftovers from, um, we have uh, a Mexican friend who had made them a, a lunch at her house, and then we brought it home, and I didn't know what it was. And they kept saying, the twins kept saying, yeah, more, more, when they wanted it. And I took a closer look. I'm like, well, it has texture like that on one side, but not on the back. I realized it was tongue. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, Lily has had beef tongue and approves. 
Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my kids were were big fans. They they laugh at that story now. They were about I don't know nine or ten months old at the time. <laughs> yeah, I I do worry about when Lily goes off to school that kids are going to make fun of her for her uh, lunchbox. You live here assortment. in Oregon, you know. You know, right. she'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so, and what else are you finding on social media? It seems like this book is really caught on fire on social media. Yeah, it's just been it's really inspiring to us to see people sharing what they're cooking. We just want. Um, people to share their experiences in the kitchen um, so that moms who are busy and working or people who are training and don't think they have time see other people are taking the time to cook and, and it inspires them to get in the kitchen as well. So whether they're sharing about the book or just sharing about getting in the kitchen at the end of the day, what matters most to us is to inspire other people to take the time to slow down and, and get into the kitchen and have fun with cooking. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what a book like this does. It, it Whether you're making the recipes that are in it, or then you also take some of that knowledge and impart that into other things you're making. So that maybe, you know, you, you put some butter instead of, you know, I don't know, a canola oil, or, you know, you start using coconut oil or something mm-hmm. like that. It just really kind of infuses the way you cook you know, whether it's these recipes or other ones. Or in a case like me, I do not like sweet potatoes. Yeah. My husband has tried numerous. He's the cook of the family, and he's a great cook. But um, the sweet potato breakfast cookies and the salmon with the sweet potatoes is just superb, both of them. When do I get to eat this sweet potato breakfast cookie well, sitting in front of me? Go ahead and <laughs> dig in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for bringing them. Well, thank you for this book. I mean, the recipes... Um, if they inspired me to cook that saying I know I have to say so so you know I I lined up Ellison oh gosh when we first did this so it was probably two months ago that I lined you up for this and as Ellison said her husband Carl is the cook in the family and he is really a great cook um and so she would be like be tweeting me or texting me about what she made and I'm like wait this is from (laughs) Ellison yeah Carl stop texting me you know and that's that's great we love to hear that yeah there's such a um like divide of people who just fear the kitchen because they didn't mm-hmm. grow up seeing their parents in the kitchen cooking. And we just want, want to make it really approachable for people and not ever have it feel like overwhelming, like it's a diet regimen or strict, like Shalane and I don't eat perfect all the time. We're lately on the road a lot. And sometimes there aren't the best options when you're at the airport, stranded at the airport. But um, we don't want people to ever get like caught up in like, I have to cook every single meal from scratch like just do the best that you can with what you have and the time that you have and um, even just getting in the kitchen one day a week and prepping food food for a few days of home-cooked meals is a good start Mm -hmm. or sometimes I feel just if I have a healthy side dish then you know it's like okay well I'm just serving you know I don't know grilled chicken breast it's like but but look at that you know kale farro side salad that I made right (laughs) yeah 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 so you mentioned the book tour what's what's up next for that and um have to ask, do you and Shalane get to run together when you're on tour? Yes. Um, Shalane took me on a, uh, convinced me to go on a 12 and a half mile run with her um, <laughs> when she was in Bend, a trail run, a mountain trail run at high altitude. And I was like, this is not a good idea. But <laughs> the night before, like, somehow it sounded like a good idea. In the morning of, I was like, oh my God. Maybe a little alcohol there yeah. in that decision making <laughs> process. We sh- yeah, we were sharing. Um, Shalane and I are big fans of um, local microbrews uh, beer. Like IPA is our, our favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, people think 
that always think like, oh, wine is healthier than beer, but we believe the other way around. <laughs> because beer, if it's made the traditional way, like small batch microbrews like we have in, in Oregon, it's actually really high in minerals and great for oh. bone health. So Look at that. Look at that. Fan. You can do a cell job on anything, woman. My gosh. <laughs> My husband is going to be thrilled. So, yeah, we had, a, we had a backyard fire and um, shared a beer with some neighbor friends and, sh- and that night got convinced to do this incredible 12 and a half mile trail, trail run. The first half was uphill the whole way. Um, and as we were like leaving the car, Shalane goes, uh, I'm not going to carry water. I don't, this is like just a jog for her. And I was like, you're not going to carry water. Like we're in like the high desert in, in the mountains in Bend. And I was like, I'm carrying water. And halfway through, she drank half my water. And I was like, how am I, uh, the, how am I carrying water for Shalane? It should be the other way around. You're the Sherpa. Yeah. <laughs> you're outing her on this podcast. So yeah, we're running together and tonight we'll be running together, um, leading 150 people through um, the streets of Portland on a, on a run with Nike. Oh. Um, and a lot of the cities were leading runs with the community. And so we're really yeah. excited. I love running before we give our book talks because I get really nervous about public speaking. But getting out and running with the crowd before I have to go speak in front of them just makes it a lot easier. Well, that's so funny because so yeah. when Dimity and I, um, for our first book tour for Run Like a Mother, we did we would lead runs and then do a reading. And I always found it difficult. I sweat so much that I found it really difficult to transition to be like, okay, now I'm saying here, do I change my sports bra? Like, do I put on something like just the apparel question was right. really tough for me. So yeah, we you... try to sneak in the back and change really quick. Shalane's a heavy sweater too. So uh-huh. <laughs> I don't sweat that much, but. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Elise. we wish you and Shalane great success with your book. Thank you so much. And we're so, so honored to have the chance to speak to you guys today. Thanks. Thank you. What an accomplishment when you think that came, the book came from just a, hey, we ought to write a cookbook sometime Mm -hmm. to here it is. I know. I know. And when we just, we took a break to walk her, to see her out take some photos and then see her out. And she was saying how she can't believe she wrote this book when she had a newborn. I can't either. Uh uh And she said that her poor daughter spending the first two years in the kitchen. But I think, man, what an accomplishment and what a bonding experience. Oh, exactly. Well, and it sounds like the child has such a varied palate. So it's obviously served her well. Yes. No pun intended on the served. Um, So well, let's trot over to the train like a mother club to hear from Dimity. Hey, guess what? It's Dimity. And guess where I am? I'm in Denver. And guess what I'm going to talk about today at the Train Like a Mother Club corner? A subject we runners never fail to talk about to exhaustion, at least with your close BRFs. And that is, of course, pooping. So here we go. This is Danette, who is in the 13.1 traditional challenge, the half marathon traditional challenge. And she writes, O period M period, G period. Well, today's run was an interesting one. TMI ahead. A week and a half ago, I went back to work. And after having all summer off, I was on a pretty good schedule, if you know what I mean, parentheses, and it's that little um, pile of poop icon, which I think is actually supposed to be I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it has eyes. And I'm really hoping that most things that go in the toilet don't have eyes. Anyway, being regular is something I've always struggled with. Adjusting to a new schedule is tough. So this past week has been pretty rough and uncomfortable. Somebody recommended an herbal tea to me called Smooth Move. 
I drank some last night before I went to bed, and this morning I spent quite a bit of time in the bathroom before my run. I thought I was in the clear, so I headed out for my 10-miler. All was good until about mile four or five. Then the tummy rumbles began. I wasn't too far away from home, so I picked up the pace, like faster than tempo pace, and tried to get home ASAP. I had to stop a few times to dot, 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 compose myself, dot, 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 before running again. I made it home around mile six and sprinted into the house. On my way back out, I told my hubby I was never drinking that tea the night before a long run ever again. I couldn't find my groove back after I headed back out. I didn't do a goo because I was afraid of what it would do to my stomach, so I bonked, but I knew why, so I wasn't too mad about it. About mile nine, the tummy started turning again, so I just headed home. I'll call 9.3 miles a victory after everything that happened. Moral of the story from Danette, don't drink smooth move or any laxative tea the night before a run (laughs) with lots of emojis after that. So anyway, Danette, we're glad you made it home. We're glad that you um, learned a lesson that the rest of us can happily absorb without having to actually live through it. And um, here's to many happy miles with no tummy rumbles this week. Talk to you next week. Okay, now I know us mother runners don't have much spare time, but if you find yourself with an extra minute or two in front of the computer, Dimity and I would be very grateful if you could write a quick review of our podcast on iTunes. I was recently on there and I was delighted to see how many five-star ratings we have. Woohoo! But there aren't many recent reviews, like a couple sentences. So reviews help other runners find our podcast, which is a good thing. Even just a few quick comments help. Thanks so much. Wishing you many happy miles and that you run fast but eat slow.